Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Jasmine Thomas. Jasmine is the founder of Ohana CBD, a vegan, functional, and CBD-fused skincare company. Ohana products are 100% natural and contain unique formulations that combine powerful plant properties that serve the skin from seed to self. Jasmine was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, in 2015. She started using cannabis to alleviate various frustrating symptoms of her condition, her medical journey led her led to her professional one, which now allows her to pursue her passions. In 2018, Jasmine co-founded Entourage Network, a women's empowerment organization that cultivates a platform for people to engage and explore Europe's legal cannabis market. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get into it. So tell me the story of your very first period. So... I remember it actually very, very well. I was 16. Um, I was actually 16 and a half. It was August and I was in Newquay in Cornwall and I was on a post-GCSE trip. It was my first trip away from my parents with my friends and we were about two or three days into the trip and I, we were staying in like this hostel with all my girlfriends and I, that's when I first came on my period. And I remember I didn't, I was like, oh, what am I going to use? Because obviously I didn't have anything with me. And then all of my friends had like, you know, started their period like years before. Some of them had started them when they were 10, 11, others when they were 13. And so I was really the last one to the party and they handed me a tampon and I did not feel comfortable using it um I, at all like you know nothing had been up there before so I didn't really feel comfortable using it so I was like oh crap and I felt quite isolated because I was like they didn't understand why I didn't want to use a tampon and then I had to kind of like you know go to the shop and get pads and I just felt really uncomfortable and where we were staying in this hostel you know it wasn't really that great we were like it was a 16 year old's budget um so I actually just got the train home because I just remember I wanted to be with my mum and I wanted my mum to sort of like navigate this time for me. So you were 16 and you said that your friends had gotten their periods much earlier. So one as early as 10. What did you feel in the lead up to your period arriving? Was Did you have a sense that it was about to come or and were you did you know what was what was going to happen in terms of what a period actually was? So I knew what a period was and I knew some of my friends had started at theirs. Um, and I remember actually when I was much younger, my best ever friend since I was seven years of age, when we were about nine, her mom bought us these matching books because we liked everything to be matching our clothes, our books, absolutely everything. Um, <laughs> She bought us matching books called Hairs in Funny Places, which describe developing, um, you know, your breast developing, your period. So I, and my family's very open. So I was always very aware that I was going to get my period, what it was. But 
for some reason, because I just didn't get it and I didn't get it till like, I don't know what compared to my peers was quite late. I just didn't think about it. So I was quite shocked when it happened. Um, even though I had been in situations before where I could actually also remember now that my cousin came on her period for the first time when we were staying at my dad's house. Um, but even then I remember my dad not really knowing what to do and calling my mum and being like, you need to come and help me. Like, uh, you know, our niece has just started her period. Um, but I, I didn't feel any sense of like particular symptoms or anything like that leading up to that date in August um, when I was just over 16 that I first started. So you got your the train home because you wanted to be with your mom, totally understandable. And when you got home, what did your mom say? I don't actually remember that part um, in a lot of detail, to be honest. I remember she was just like, she was quite encouraging of me to stay. And she was like, you know, you'll be okay. It's fine. But I mean, I never really liked, um, I've always been quite a homebody anyway. Um, and kind of like being close to my mum. So I was like, just didn't feel comfortable. Um, but I remember she always wanted me to use pads she wasn't really that comfortable with me using tampons and then I didn't until I I didn't I didn't actually start using tampons until after I had had sex and did that make a difference um it just made me feel more comfortable with inserting something inside me um I think that's kind of like where my logic was coming from at the time um but yeah, it's, it's, it's from then for the next 10 years, I then used tampons like for every period. I never used another a sanitary towel. And what was your relationship like with your period after you, you talked about the transition from pads to tampons? What about the experience of the period itself? My period when I was younger was always really it was an okay experience. Um, I've never really had like a very heavy flow. So things like leaking through my clothes and stuff like that, like that's never happened to me. Um, I've always like, as especially as I've got older, I've got a lot more in tune with my body. So I know exactly when it's going to come. So I don't get caught short. Um, but yeah, it was kind of okay. I didn't really, until I was 26 is when I really started to, kind of tune into my body, understand my cycles, um, start tracking my cycles, uh, kind of like get up into the cue science of when my period was. Um, and then also that's also when I became more conscious about using tampons and what kind of contraception I used and how that could potentially affect my period. Um, my periods did get a bit more heavy and I do actually suffer from um, quite sometimes quite severe period pains as well. Um, so the first day of my period is always a bit of a nightmare and I'm exhausted and I can't really do much, but then it will only last three or four days thereafter and it's really light and it's, it's fine. Talk about why you started tracking your period and what led you, what, what you, how you started that process. Um, that was mainly because, um, so 26 was maybe a bit too early. Actually, I think I started that when I was 27. Um, so from the age of maybe 17, to 24 25 I was on the pill and then obviously when I was diagnosed with MS at 25 I started looking at my lifestyle very holistically so 
I looked, I obviously opted for medical cannabis for my choice of drug. I started looking at my skincare routine and eliminating all toxins and potential um, hormone disruptors uh, from my, my everyday routines, my diet and lifestyle. And that really got me to thinking of what the pill could potentially be doing to my body and any adverse effects. And I also felt like I just didn't really feel like real emotions while I was on the pill. Um, I found it very confusing. So I wanted to get very, very in tuned in my body. And I didn't want to take contraception. So I wanted to look into natural cycling. And that is when I started to track my period and have been doing so ever since. So was it the MS diagnosis that made you come off of the pill? Um, I was already actually off the pill just because I didn't have a partner at that time. So I came off the pill when I was 24. Um, I didn't have a partner again until I was 26. So I think that had a contributing factor to um, exploring natural cycles in a lot more detail. So talk a little bit about um, that. What happened to you as you as you came off the pill? I've always find these stories quite interesting because they can vary so widely. So um, you you said a, a little bit earlier about how you you didn't really feel your mood. So talk a little bit about that process. Well, yeah, I just didn't really feel, I don't really feel like, I didn't feel like I'd felt real emotions. And I had also noticed how it disrupted my feelings about someone or my feelings within a relationship. And also like not feeling the, uh, like the signs of PMS. So I wasn't really feeling any of these emotions. And once I came off the concept of the pill, I really started to feel everything a lot more. So it became a lot, I became a lot more in tune with my body because then I would know when I'm going to come on my period. I would um, know when I'm ovulating. I've like, I'm really sensitive. So like I really, I can really feel even when I'm ovulating, like I know, like just from like the pains in my stomach or the little twinges that I feel. So I think it just really helped me come into terms with that and then also just look at other things that I could support myself with and state of mind and mood through other natural supplements to to support me through my monthly cycle. It's quite, you know, I'm not saying that 24 is, is young, but to be able to make that decision that you wanted to feel your moods and you wanted to get more in touch with yourself at that age is quite, I think it's quite astute. I think what my experience of women coming off the pill is is typically in their in their early 30s that they start to think a bit differently about that. So I think it's really interesting that you made that decision when you were so young. It was it was heavily influenced. Um, I think like I am basically my mother's twin. Um, I really really am my mum has never uh, been on the contraceptive pill before she's either always on natural cycling or um, used condoms and we had had these conversations and you know she my kind of like holistic approach to life has very much come from her um, and probably influenced the type of medicine that I have since used since been diagnosed with MS as well because we grew up with a, homeo- a homeopath. Um, you know, my whole entire family is vegetarian slash vegan. 
everything's very plant-based everything's very holistic um there is like a lot of use of natural medicine and so i think that has really influenced me since an extremely young age so i have always been uh, quite conscious about these things and then just implemented them again and they really came to the forefront of my mind once i was diagnosed and had to kind of like evaluate my life and uh you know put strategic uh things in place and pillars in place to make sure that i was going to continue living my best life um with the with the education that i had kind of like you know that i'd received from my my family up until that date can you talk a little bit about your ms diagnosis and but before you get into that can you share for listeners who don't know what MS, multiple sclerosis, is, uh, more about what this condition is? Yeah, of course. So MS, um, as you said, is multiple sclerosis. It is a autoimmune disease that affects the brain and spinal cord. And to be more specific, it is the protein that protects the myelin sheath, which is the nerve endings in your brain and spinal cord that it attacks. And I was diagnosed on the 1st of December 2015. Um, I first noticed symptoms from the summer of 2015. One of the triggers of symptoms can be heat. And that summer I was in Marrakesh in July and it was like 43 degree heat. It was so hot. Um, I literally couldn't do anything. I remember like not even being able to get in the pool because the pool was so warm. And I was like stuck under a, a parasol the whole time. And then when I got back, I had lost the hearing in my right ear quite considerably. And I was like, this is so weird. But I had also been on like 10 flights that year so far. So I was like, hey, I've been flying too much. It's just affected my ear. Um, but then I kind of also had vertigo and I was having like extreme exhaustion every day at four o'clock. So, but I left it a couple of months and then I was like, I also had um, vibrations down my spinal cord. And I was like, wow, I'm really working out too hard in the gym because I can really feel this um, in my back. And I was like saying to my other friends that, you know, after doing loads of sit-ups, do you really feel it in your spine? And they're like, yeah. I was like, you, you get the tremors? And they're like, yes. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is normal. Um, and then by September, October time, my um, my hearing hadn't returned. So I was like, okay, I should probably go to the doctors about this now. And I got referred to the nose, ear and throat hospital in King's Cross. And they checked out my ear and there was like, there's nothing wrong with your eardrum. Like everything's fine, but you obviously do have quite considerable um, hearing loss. You know, we can give you a hearing aid, but you should probably just go. It's obviously something to do with your brain. So go for a scan. And so they sent me off for an MRI and then it came back that it was most likely going to be MS, um, which I was quite shocked about because, again, going off my family history, no one's had any illnesses. And there's been kind of like, you know, we haven't even had anyone in the family with cancer. So we had never, I'd never really experienced um, an illness before um, or yeah, any kind of serious illness in my family. Um, so yeah, that was quite a shock. Um, and then, yeah, so kind of like, that's how I found out I had it. Um, saying that I'd never experienced any serious illness in my family was actually not true. Thinking back about it, I did actually have quite severe meningitis septicemia when I was 17, um, which they think could be a contributing factor as to why I maybe then went on to develop MS. 
because I did have, yeah, I did have meningitis when I was 17 and I caught it quite late. So it was quite severe. So talk about the support that you you had around you when you got your diagnosis. You said you were shocked. So what, what sort of support networks did you lean on? Um, so my family were really, really supportive um, and they still, still are to this day. Um, I then went and had therapy as well. Um, so I had therapy at the time to deal with it. Um, but if I'm being really honest, the initial shock didn't really last that long. And then my, my kind of, I mean, I I remember actually sitting in the room with my mum and the doctor telling us, the neurologist telling us, my mum was crying and I just didn't really cry. And I kind of just thought, like, you know, I've kind of always been a things happen for a reason type of person. No point in crying over spilt milk. Though I'm quite an optimistic. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like there is a way to get on with it. I never really had, um, yeah, it was, I never really felt like depressed or um, hard done by, by it. I kind of just, the, yeah, I think the natural reaction within, within me was like, okay, like let's get on with this now. How am I going to fix it? How am I going to manage it? And how am I just going to make sure that this doesn't stop me in achieving any of my goals in life? Wow. So you had, you had quite a go-getting attitude. Um, to then moving forward with with MS? Yeah, definitely. I almost immediately knew that I didn't want to accept any of the disease-modifying drugs um, just because some of them didn't really align with my personal beliefs. And, you know, I'd grown up a vegetarian my whole life. Um, I was already vegan by then as well. And a lot of the a lot of the medicines were based around animal fats, um, which I didn't necessarily feel that comfortable putting in my body at the time. The other drug options was like things like chemotherapy. I was only 25. I want to have uh, kids one day. So there were a lot of kind of like factors around it. And then some of them give you a 30% chance of then living with a thyroid issue for the rest of your life, which you have to take more medicine for. So my rationale and thinking at that time um, and kind of like, I think because of my, because of my family influence always has been, um, there's a natural or alternative way to get on with it. Mm. So that's when I really started, ex- um, exploring natural medicines. My granddad is a Rasta from the Caribbean. So he had been using, um, cannabis for the whole of my life um as had other people in my family so it was something that was very open and um discussed and talked about so I was already aware that cannabis was seen as potential medicine also weirdly enough on the 2nd of December the day after I was diagnosed I started a new job in um in a business development role and the first client that I was handed was a company called GW Pharmaceuticals and they are the biggest medical exporters of cannabis globally. And the drug, the one drug they had approved at that time was a drug called Cetavex. And it was medical cannabis specifically designed for MS patients. Oh, wow. So that's like literally like the universe. Or yeah. Whatever you believe, sending something right in, in your path. That is, that is incredible. It was super, super weird. And my, my boyfriend at the time was also a rad, Rasta who ran a hydroponic shop 
So he was very deeply ingrained in the cannabis industry already. My granddad had been teaching us our whole lives about this. And then the day after I started that new job and that was the first client that I was given. So I, I believe in those, those signs basically and was, was definitely happy to follow them. Can you just talk a little bit for listeners who might not be aware of um, firstly what Rastafarians are um, and the role of cannabis within um, Rastafarianism? Yeah, so Rastas don't really like to be referred to as a religious community. They are a collective of um, people who believe in God and they do, they follow the Bible and they believe that cannabis can be used as a sacrament and can basically um, help bring you to a higher state of meditation. And that can also encourage reasoning, which is a conversation to explore subject matters that you can one day become enlightened on essentially wow that's so interesting and is it in a very it, snapshot yeah yeah <laughs> I I mean, there's so, right. my, my so many like <laughs> <laughs> there's so many questions i could ask you off the back of that and so there it started in in jamaica is that right uh yes it did so it started in jamaica their prophet um it was started well what the rastas follow the word of marcus garvey and marcus garvey said you look to the uh you know you look to to africa for the next rising basically and he will come in the form of direct i think i hope i'm saying this right i think it is direct lineage of uh king solomon and he will be he will be um, you know him and his queen will be seen as equals and um they he will be a he will be a leader that has not been conquered and that they see that as um marcus garvey was talking about haile selassie who um you know him and his wife were um, crowned on the same day so they were seen as equals he's seen as having direct lineage to i think it's king solomon i really hope this is right and then also they were um ethiopia at that time was a country that was um that kind of like uh, fought off the italians from um from conquering them so they saw that as their next leader and Haile selassie is the second coming to them and who they follow. That's so interesting. And in terms of the cannabis element of it, you so you grew up knowing this about cannabis and the background um, and the importance of cannabis to Rastas. So when you got your MS diagnosis, talk about how you you started using cannabis to start to alleviate some of your symptoms. Um, so it's quite funny because even though I grew up like around it and knowing the benefits, I didn't actually ever use it myself. So I wasn't really like a recreational um, cannabis user. So it wasn't my first experience, but it was still one of my very early experiences. Um, so I started to smoke it. So anytime that I got um, aches and pains, frustrating symptoms, I would smoke it and it would literally relieve my symptoms within like 10 to 15 seconds. 
it was always, always very quickly. However, cannabis affects everybody differently. And I was not somebody who was a functional stoner. So I would always have to wait until the evening, until I was done with work for me to be able to medicate. Um, one of the other ways that I quite liked consuming it was in food. Um, so I quite liked edibles just because I liked cooking and it was quite a different creative way of doing it. And then also sometimes it's just really easy. Um, so if you don't always want to smoke, then I could just like eat a chocolate truffle that tastes absolutely delicious. Um, and it's going to have the same effects. Another way that I started using it was in topicals. So obviously, like I said, when I was at work, I'm, I'm not able to consume and I'm also just not able to like function. So I used topical application and I would bring that to work with me. So if I ever did have like sore knees or sore hips, was um, muscles, leg muscles were like my, my symptoms at that time, then I would use a topical application, which would again give me a lot of relief and kind of hence where Ohana was birthed from through, um, falling in love with the topical use um after about two years I because I was working in the space and I had really really good um a good overview to the formulation scientists the pharmacovigilance team and really understanding for the first time the actual science behind it and understanding the, the science behind cannabis how it interacts with our bodies how it interacts with our brain the um entourage effect and how it kind of like how it was helping me I was a, like I said, I was a business developer at the time. So I've always been quite inquisitive and I really had like a thirst for knowledge. So I started to go to um, expos and events. I've dragged my mum to Prague and Barcelona and Vegas. Um, I didn't think my mum would ever be going to so many kind of business events with her daughter, to be honest, but it happened. Mm. Um, and at one of them, we discovered CBD. And I took that and it had the exact same effect that the cannabis did for me, but it was non-psychotropic, which just essentially means that I did not get high from it. It just attaches to different receptors. It affects in different ways and you don't get high. So I switched from using full spectrum cannabis to CBD. Um, so I didn't experience that high feeling, essentially. I, I On a personal level, I love using CBD. Um, I use it when I so I still sometimes get really painful periods so I use it when my periods are really painful and the effect is just it's just amazing it just you can feel the relief within like for me it's at least like 10 minutes and I just I really love it um talk a little bit about your your company so Ahana you talked about your journey from you smoking cannabis and using topical cannabis um, with THC to then where you started Ohana with CBD. What made you go into this direction of deciding to actually build a company for yourself? So by this time, I think I'm like two years into medicating with cannabis and using CBD and I just really loved it. It was like, you know, I would sit at my desk in the city and it's like all I wanted to talk about, basically. <laughs> so it was a bit it was a bit distracting for everyone from work. Um and on reflection, I think I only ever got away with it because my family member was the CEO of the company. <laughs> Otherwise I don't think it would have been really as tolerated, to be honest. Um, talking about cannabis all day. And 
it made me very reflective of wanting to live my most authentic self and my most authentic life and I definitely couldn't do that in the job that I was doing because essentially I was just working with a lot of pharmaceutical companies which I didn't you know I had uh, questions that you probably shouldn't have when you're working so closely with them and that can maybe be seen as um, antagonistic and it just didn't really um, fit my my kind of my lifestyle at that time and um, saying that I always like to disclose like you know I'm 100% not against allopathic medicine obviously when I had MS it, um, when I had meningitis obviously it absolutely saved my life it just wasn't the route that I was ready to take then but um, I'm still in full support of it and absolutely love it and very very grateful for the purposes of it and the way it serves us in everyday life um but yeah, and I kind of just didn't really feel, feel like I was being my most authentic self. And I thought, you know what, I've got a mess. It's an unpredictable disease. I want to make sure that I am living my life exactly how I want to and to be able to, uh, to be able to be myself 100% because that is something else I think really affects people's symptoms. I think it is a lot of it can be a state of mind and our environments and the people that we surround ourselves with. So I was like, okay, I want to leave this job and I want to start a job. And I knew I wanted it to be in the cannabis or CBD industry. I wanted to culminate all my passions. So after CBD, my second passion was clean beauty. So like I mentioned, I'd grown up on a very natural uh, lifestyle. My mum had always made our skincare at home. She was very against me using sort of like, you know, traditional deodorant. And then at the age of 17 and 18, I'd kind of like wavered from that path into using kind of like everyday products that all my friends were using. That You know, if my friends were using Simple, I wanted to use Simple. If they were using Nivea, I wanted to use Nivea. And kind of just piling all this crap onto my body, which then, again, when I was diagnosed, I looked at it and I thought, you know what, the average woman applies over 120 chemicals on her body every day. It builds up a toxic load and I need to make sure that I am removing all of this from my body. So um, I kind of, yeah, went back to how I was brought up and then looked at clean beauty. I've always been really obsessed with um, with skincare and looking after my skin. So yeah, I wanted it basically was a culmination of my passions at that time, which was CBD, clean beauty. And what I wanted to do to what I really wanted is I've I always wanted clean beauty, but I really wanted it to work. So what I looked at with Ohana is producing highly efficacious skincare products with clinically validated ingredients that have really similar results as a traditional counterparts would to produce highly functional natural skincare so that's how it came about that's so interesting and i think whenever i hear um stories of female entrepreneurs and their journey i'm just to starting their business it it's so different but there was always this one moment this spark that they have uh, that gets them going and and then you know it's interesting to see, hear the journey that they take from from that spark. Um, so with the the products, there you have a range. Um, and is it? So I know I've spoken to another female founder of a CBD brand, and she says that due to regulations, you can't um, say 
you can't talk about any kind of medical properties or make any claims about the product. So she has to talk about it as skincare. But she mm-hmm. says that, you know, she can say anecdotally in conversation that, yeah, it, you know, it can affect certain areas of your health and you can use it for period pain. Is it similar for you? Yeah, so we try and lead with education. So if we if we lead with education, we are I think this is really important for this market as well, where education is it's still a very new novel ingredient that people don't know that much about. But if we lead with education then people can they know what it is so they can make their own minds up with how they use it. Um we I mean, I have my story on the website, which sometimes does come up as a bit of an issue. Um, and also we will post blogs. So we do post a lot of educational content. I remember we did actually post a blog a couple of weeks ago of how psoriasis, how CBD could actually potentially help with psoriasis because of its anti-inflammatory properties. And the MHRA did actually uh, email me and be like, take this down right now so I was like okay um but how we have overcome that is using the clinically proven plant-based actives so for example in our all-in-one wonder balm our active is um called deimeloctive it's clinically proven to be double anti-inflammatory free radical and it's in studies it was mostly um it was mostly studied with the use of if you suffer from rosacea so we have an ingredient in that which we can make claims for that can help with rosacea. Where do you think the industry needs to go in order to connect the the overwhelming anecdotal benefits of CBD with what's available right now in terms of clinical research and clinical evidence? I think that we need more. Um, there needs to be more studies, which I think will is definitely going to happen now. The regulations in America are changing where a lot of the education has come from. Um, there's a lot of uh, education that comes from Israel as well. They are kind of like spearheading the, the science-backed um, kind of evidence. A lot of the evidence that's coming out as is Canada because it's a completely legalised country now. But I think education is just the most important thing. And I see it one day as becoming like, you know, a a vitamin, just an everyday vitamin, like vitamin D would be or vitamin C and it becoming a kind of an everyday ingredient into, into our multitude of products that we use that ties into, to wellbeing and our health. But I do think that there needs to be a really strong educational drive from brands. Um, And that's what we've done a year before we launched. We just focused on education. So we just put out content, um, we put out interviews, we just really try to educate our consumer as much as possible. So we don't even necessarily have to make claims because people know what they're using it for. So, you know, we get a lot of people that are maybe trying to manage arthritis pain or similar to me, like MS pain or um like knee pains, my cousin's got fibromyalgia, she uses it, my uncle's got lupus and he has a lupus rash on his nose. He uses it, um, my niece has eczema, we used it on my niece. So I think it's really just that education point that needs to be really driven and I think there needs to be more quality from the brand owners to drive that, basically. Yeah. 
And in terms of the industry, what I've seen from what I've read and um, different videos that I've seen online is that it, at the moment, is very male-dominated. And you set up the Entourage Network, which is a women's empowerment organization um, for people to engage and explore the cannabis market in Europe. Um, what do you think needs to be done to bring more women into the space? So, yeah, Jess, uh, Jessica Steinberg, who is a PhD student at Oxford exploring um, a subject matter on cannabis, which I can never actually remember off the top of my head. It's a very, very long, uh, it's, very, it's got a very long name. Um, but me and Jess met in a uh, cannabis co-working space back in 2018. We were the only females there. So we were like, okay, we're going to be friends. Uh, we both have similar interests and there's, there's no other women about. And what from my research and from kind of like you know traveling across Europe and America what I had seen is that in America they had a very high level of women in C-level C-suite level positions and above but as as every state legalized that number would decline because you know other industries come into it and the same thing has happened in the UK so that we do have a really high level of female founders and female entrepreneurs in the space but as legalization becomes more dominant you get other industries coming into it so you've got the vc world coming into it finance insurance and um, lawyers like really traditional industries that are already male dominated so it's very very hard to have an equal female representation however because there is no blueprint of the cannabis industry it is a really really amazing opportunity for there to be equality from the offset so I think it was really important for us at that time as um, in the UK it's a nascent industry that we put in place a structure that allows women to be at the forefront of the industry and to have an equal stake in it as well. I think some of the issues that we have is again um, just like I said you know it's non it's traditional industries coming into it that are led by men and then also it just comes down to the whole financing piece as well it's in securing outside investment women are you know women only get like 0.2 percent of um, outside funding for their company as it is as being a woman of color being a black woman that you know I'm in a 0.2 percent bracket of that so we like to put together um, sessions and workshops that are going to enable women to overcome these issues. Can you talk a little bit more about being a black woman in this industry? So in the US, for example, um, the majority of people who are imprisoned for cannabis offenses are black. I don't know mm -hmm. what the figures are in the UK. Um, Pretty similar. Okay. And then you see the people, as you mentioned, who are leading this industry, they are overwhelmingly white. So talk a little bit about your your view and your vision as a black woman in this industry. Um, so when I first started, I um, I wasn't really that conscious of it. But as I have grown in confidence and my voice and my position within the industry, then I have one started to recognize it a lot more and become a lot more vocal about it. So I've been to a lot of um, 
com- the conference in this industry can be really expensive as well. So I've been to 400 pound a day, 800 pound a day, a thousand pound a day conferences. And there is a significant lack of black people or um, ethnic minorities and women at these conferences. So what I make sure that I do is make the people who are holding the events accountable. So I ask them what they're doing, what their initiatives are to increase um, equality and increase an equal representation. One just happened uh, the other day, actually. There is a group called um, Minorities for Medical Marijuana. It's an American group, but they do have a subset in um, the UK. And there was uh, an event happening, an online event happening, and I I emailed the CEO and I was like, look, I've been to one of your events in the past. There's an absolute lack of um, diversity um, with the attendees. Can you give me some tickets so I can distribute them between the um, the minorities for medical marijuana group, which they were happy to do so. Um, so I think it is just about having a voice. I also, there's a lot of, I remember once I was also sitting in one of the, the poshest private members clubs in Mayfair and I went to meet someone about um, investment and they were discussing projects that they had going on and they had a project going on in Africa at the time and they were really really excited about it and um, they wanted to uh, distribute money into Ohana and my question to them was okay can you explain to me what you are then doing to empower the African um, people in the local areas and then also with jobs and um, you know uplifting the community and they were immediately unable to answer that to me and that for me is absolutely unacceptable and expressing uh, you know expressing how um, that needs to change and that I couldn't I wouldn't be necessarily willing to work with a company like that because it's not aligned with my values. So I think holding each other accountable, being aware, and again, back to the education piece is really important um, for black people because in the UK, it's still not different. Uh, You know, you're still 14 times more likely to be stopped and searched uh, for cannabis if you're a black male in the UK. you're still, you know, more likely to get harsher penalties and sentences. So obviously that is something that I feel very passionate about and hope to continue to have a voice um, that can hopefully make a change. If someone's listening to this podcast and this is thinking, okay, what can I do to make a change in this, in this sector? What can I do? I'm really shook by these stats that that Mm -hmm. jasmine has said about penalties and harsher harsher penalties and stop and search what can i do what would you advise them i think like we're getting that advice i think it starts you know with everything that's happening at the moment in the world and the drive of black lives matter and each and every one of us everyone just educating themselves more and becoming aware of their unconscious bias um you know i had this conversation with one of my old colleagues the other day you know i said i know you never realized it at the time but this is every point of which i remember that you expressed a racist remark in front of me that made me feel extremely uncomfortable and um i think 
you know, with how much education there's going on and awareness out of the mo- out there at the moment, this is a really good time to kind of like educate yourself and be mindful of it. And I think we all have to do it. I think nobody is, um, everybody has an uncon- unconscious biases. I think it's really important that we all just use the many, many tools that are available and out there at the moment that we see every day on social media, we see every day on Instagram, we see every day in our WhatsApp groups from our friends and family and just making sure that we're educating each other as much as possible and then also just having the confidence to keep those around us accountable. How can people find out more about the, um, the, your product? So you've just had a launch, um, I think, is it earlier is it last week you had a launch? Um, how can people access your products? Yep. So we launched last Monday. Um, our Instagram is, is at Ohana. You can um, research our products at ohana-cbd.com. You will see the three products that we have on offer. So what we do is, um, I think like we mentioned earlier, we use plant-based actives combined with need to produce high functioning skincare um the benefits of cbd are um you know the kind of the evidence that we have so far to be anti-inflammatory um anti-aging it's full of omega-3s and fatty acids and it's really good for um free controlling free radicals etc so they're the kind of benefits um we have three products is we have got an all-in-one wonder balm we have a night repair oil and we have a daily defense serum that is used for anti-pollutant so for example we use marine cell shield which is a clinically active uh, proven active that helps protect your skin against outside pollutants and um, Marine Blue Vital C, which is, again, a clinically proven active that combats signs of aging and hyperpigmentation. Um, on our website, you'll be able to see like all our products, all the information. We make it very transparent. So, you know, we state that we're cruelty, vegan, GMO and palm oil free, and we'll break it down. So, you know, I'm ne- I've never really been a fan of this term 100% natural. Um, because I think that's very misleading. So we break it down to be very specific. So all our products are, you know, maybe around 99.7% natural or 97.3% natural. Um, so we try and be as honest and transparent as possible. And yeah, you just get more education around our products and what we're doing differently and how we are leading the uh, CB skincare industry for the UK. Amazing. Well, congratulations on the launch. I'm really excited Thank you so to much. try your products, dive into the website, try your products. Um, if listeners take one thing away from everything that you've said on this podcast, what would you want that to be? Um, I would say, you know, I always find this really difficult, uh, question I've actually been asked this quite a few times um, <laughs> in the last few weeks and I always want to say you know have a positive mindset but I know that that is not easy for everybody and I don't like it I don't like it to to come across that I'm being uh, nonchalant about that my one bit of advice for everybody I my one bit of advice actually is to always make sure that you have confidence in your voice and you are living your most authentic self. Brilliant. I think everything else falls into place after that. Mm, absolutely. You 
you I love that because I really relate to that right now. I was talking to someone yesterday about how I felt like in the last couple of months it's my throat chakra had opened up and I have finally found my my voice after hiding it and suppressing it for so long. So I really relate to what you've just said. Yeah, I love that. Um, I just think, and I think it's, this, it's the same. I think we're all going through a like a conscious shift at the moment where we are empowering ourselves and are, we're feeling more confident for our voices to be heard, especially as women. Um, yeah, and I think that's really important. Our, our mission for Ohana is first and foremost to just empower, empower women mm. to live their best lives, essentially. Mm. Live, live your best life like Oprah live your best us. life yeah, that, <laughs> that's the best thing to live by is it, is it what you do in life? Like, I'm literally every day I wake up and I just try and live my best life that is it <laughs> oh thank you so much for coming on the show Jasmine it's so it's been so great to chat to you and for listeners uh all of the links and um, to what Jasmine has been talking about and to Ohana will be in the show notes. So check those out and definitely head over to um, Jasmine's Instagram. So Ohana at Ohana CBD um, and check out her products. So thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been a great way to start the day. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.